Welcome to Back to the Future, a limited podcast series where we speak to startups revving to go in a post-pandemic world. We're honored today to have uh, Mr. Eddie Christian Ng at Scala Capital. Eddie started his career at the TD Bank, one of the biggest banks in Canada as a financial advisor until 2013. He moved back to Jakarta and worked in a number of banks before deciding to found his own company in 2015. That company is Livaza, online marketplace for furniture, interior design provider. More recently, he joined another startup company called Tokoin as the COO. Tokoin uses blockchain technology to help SMEs get access to funding. Given the financial access for Indonesia, uh, especially the small players, uh, has been lacking, this is fascinating and we'll explore more on that. But that's not all. We'll also be talking to Eddie about his latest venture. Eddie just joined Scala Capital in February this year as a program director. Scala is a venture capital fund that's backed by the Salim Group, which is one of the biggest and long-established conglomerate groups in Indonesia. Eddie? A very warm welcome to our OCBC Insights podcast. You obviously have a lot on your plate, so thank you first of all for your time. Let's jump straight in. Hey. We have a lot to talk about. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for so. Well, uh, perhaps easiest if we go through things chronologic, chronologically. Uh, so let's go back to 2015, for instance. By then, uh, around that time, you were back in Jakarta for some time uh, from Canada. You yeah. decided to quit your job yeah. 2015 in the financial sector, created Livaza. What went into yeah. the thought process and what gave you the impetus to take the plunge, so to speak? Well, uh, I think uh, to begin with, uh, at that time, I was still, uh, I was away from Indonesia for quite some time. I think I've uh, been living in Canada for 10 years and, and you know, moving back to Indonesia and, you know, uh, uh, work in a couple you know banks in Indonesia also. And I'm seeing that, you know, uh, at that time, honestly, uh, uh, the, the financial industry is not uh, uh, as challenging. I mean, in, in the sense that it's not challenged me now. So, um, uh, and I believe at that time also, like, you know, startup, uh, tech startup is quite uh, in the rise, especially in Indonesia with, you know, the, the rise of other uh, startup like Cocopedia and other companies, right? So um, the idea came from actually when I would like to uh, kind of like fill my room with some of the furniture and, um, I believe at that time there's no such thing as you know uh, brands like IKEA or any or household brand um, that is easily offer uh, you know on the shelf. So um, gotta look at you know uh, some of the stores and uh, traveling around a little bit just to kind of uh, find some products. I think sourcing is the the, the bottom line of um, me uh, actually. Uh, created the, the company so that you know everybody can find computers uh, online and you know and it's local definitely it's a local product so that is uh, the background uh, of how Fasa was born and then uh, you know with the opportunity from other partners uh, working together so we, uh, we established the company in 2015 uh, and then you know uh, going forward and then we're focusing on the retail and also B2B market. Yeah. So that's that is the background of the, yeah, that's the background of the, uh, the, the company when we started. Um, since one of the partners is also interior designer and architect, so uh, with the expertise that he has, then, you know, we, we, we kind of shape the market in terms of online e-commerce for furniture. Yeah. Okay, I see. Well, it, it, I guess it arose from a personal need, uh, with the with the right yeah, combination yeah, of Yeah, for uh, sure. Talent. I think 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I think yeah. looking at your time at Libaza, you were the founder, obviously, but you also call yourself the chief everything officer. You mentioned you tested the <laughs> products, you launched them, you have to set up all kinds of SOPs for all departments. I want to hear more about yeah. this, but more importantly, and something else caught my attention, your role there includes what you call recruiting and developing individuals to become what you call Libaza's ninja assassins. This is a very interesting right. description. What, do you have, what did you help them do directly? I hope nothing deadly. No, no, obviously not that exactly, but again, right, um, at that time I was, I was like such a green founder, right, so a lot of things that I did is actually quite experimental, definitely, but again, uh, with, with the mentorship that I have from my mentor at that time, uh, we, we, I had, I had, uh, I, I have three angel investors at that time that, you know, helped me shaping the company, uh, helped me shape how we run the business, uh, the, the title chief everything officer that I gave to myself is because um, we need to set up everything by ourselves, right? In terms of the uh, you know company policy, uh, SOP of doing uh, you know doing things in each department, and you know uh, at that time we are quite a small team, so some of the product is actually being tested by us as the uh, as the founder and co-founder, so. I think it's more uh, efficient that way. That's why, um, you know, I take the liberty of testing the product, launching them, and, you know, uh, asking questions to our users uh, of what needs to be improved. Um, definitely for the team, right? Um, I was the one that actually doing the interview when we do hiring. So that's why um, uh, we have certain, uh, I think we have certain requirements that we put on team so that you know uh, uh, the team can be can be uh, can be called ninja assassin ninja assassin meaning that you know everything that we do in startup industry uh, actually uh, there's there's always a time constraint right so if we miss a lot then you know we, we will be wasting time and also resources for sure so that's why I think all the uh, all the what you call all the employee or all the staff in the company has to do uh, things very not very correctly, but has to be on target, right? In terms of timeline, in, in terms of the KPI. So that's why uh, we want to make sure everyone uh, become a ninja assassin where they have the target and they will achieve it, right? So I think that's more likely uh, uh, the name behind ninja assassin. Uh, I see. I see. Nothing yeah. deadly, but basically dead on target. Nothing deadly, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Nothing deadly for sure. Nothing deadly okay. for sure, lah. So yeah. from, from what my understanding is that you spent three years at Livaza, right? So you moved on from Livaza yeah. in late 20, 2018, sorry, uh, to Toko Inn as yeah. the CEO. Yeah. So maybe walk us through uh, the, the top process there in terms of moving moving beyond uh, Livaza. Yeah. So Livaza, Livaza is actually uh, from 2015, probably until like, you know, end of 2018, right? Where uh, Livaza becoming a part of a larger organization um, uh, which is a B2B marketplace where uh, we are becoming one of the category that, you know, they would like to add into their, uh, uh, you know, product SKU, right? Because they would like to go into furniture offices and home appliances. So that's why we, we be, become a part of uh, a larger organization. Now, um, my departure uh, 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 to Tokoin is actually a, uh, it was driven by my experience also dealing with, you know, MSME uh, uh, merchant uh, in Livasa because in Livasa uh, we consist, uh, uh, we have a lot of MSME merchants as our seller, right? Where 
um, I think one of the problem is uh, uh, funding. Funding in the sense that you know, if we give them larger uh, amount of order, then it will become a backlog for them uh, to fulfill the the order because some of them actually uh, need the support of let's say a loan or any kind of fin uh, finance uh, financing to to kind of buying material to add more people in terms of you know uh, 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 producing the product. So those are actually the problem that I see uh, in Nifasa. And in Tokoin, actually, it it's uh, aligned with the, the vision of Tokoin, which is trying to uh, democratize uh, funding or democratize financial inclusion to everyone, uh, especially for MSME. So, um, so that is why, like we, uh, I, I joined Tokoin as an early member, where we shape uh, the company in terms of the, the vision, mission, and also uh, fundraising process for for our own company, and um, trying to kind of work closely with the uh, you know Ministry of Industrial and also Ministry of uh, Trade of, in Indonesia and uh, uh, what you call uh, uh, Chamber of Commerce of Indonesia also Kadin right so Kadin. because we see that um, you know some of the company actually need uh, uh, some of MSME actually need a lot of help in terms of uh, uh, financing because uh, obviously they they cannot get supported uh, not they cannot but uh, some of them is not included in in terms of the requirement for banking. They cannot uh, fulfill the requirement that uh, banks uh, in the region, uh, uh, you know, uh, would like to uh, fund. Right. So uh, maybe it's because they don't have uh, they don't have like audited financial statement or they don't have a good reporting in terms of financial because. Um, you know, my family also own a uh, mom and pop shop, right? So dri driven from, you know, um, uh, the experience that I have also in my family, uh, financial reporting is actually something that they just jump into uh, in, I think, 2017. Previously, everything is just like everything is paper-based, um, you know, that can, um, that can miss uh, any time you know, uh, misplaced any time or uh, it's not uh, uh, it's not being audited or something like that, right? So yeah. that is actually uh, the the vision behind uh, uh, the company Tokoin uh, is created. I yeah. see. Fascinating. I, well, uh, in a way, we have similar family background. My, my, my parents own a small shoe shop in Bintan. And I can tell you ah, there's, no, oh, there's no invoicing, oh. there's nothing. So I, I identify <laughs> with that. Same. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. So moving on, I think one aspect of Tokoin that I find very interesting is this. I think apart from, as you mentioned, you're helping micro and small and medium enterprises, the MSMEs, yeah. uh, try yeah. to get, get transaction data, try to get them to, you know, have a, have a record of, of financial transactions so that they can uh, have more ready financing. I think one aspect yeah. of that, uh, which is which is very very innovative, is to use uh, blockchain technology. I think walk us through a bit of right. that. Obviously, blockchain technology is fascinating, but also honestly very uh, you know unwieldy and not very straightforward to <laughs> exactly not not very straightforward <laughs> to understand. How do you crack that, especially when you have to explain to the mom and pop across Indonesia? Uh, you know, I have my in, my in my head my own dad and mom. Uh, how how on earth do you get them to understand that when, you know, uh, you know, say say people who might be more clued in already have issues understanding yeah. the whole technology. Thank you. Right. So I think I I, I get this question a lot actually, Reliance. So a lot of people have been asking me like, how 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 are you going to like how the heck you're going to explain yes. blockchain technology to like 
MSME, right? Where I think uh, uh, an app like uh, or, or an application like you know, accounting uh, application like you know, uh, Smartbook or any kind of uh, other brands, uh, they can even use it, right? So, um, blockchain technology is just a, the technology behind um, uh, behind the point, right? So what we, what value that we actually brought out to uh, uh, to MSME is actually um, a very simple a very simple kind of application that they can uh, record the you know uh, the debit and credit and also uh, what you call AR so then they know the money flow in out and also who uh, who need to be uh, paying them right because like we did an interview to like a, a couple or you know a handful amount of MSME. Uh, some of them is actually do not know how much money coming in, how much money coming out on that day, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or whoever, uh, whoever uh, you know, um, uh, need to be uh, uh, to be uh, to pay them, right? Uh, because uh, the AR number is quite huge, but they don't record it, so they don't know, right? So sometimes at the end of the day, they cannot calculate uh, how much their profit is. It's just a matter of okay, we have a good enough of a month of money coming in today, so yeah. Maybe this is this is just enough, right? So, those are actually uh, a very ordinary problem in Indonesian MSME, right? Definitely. Um, definitely. Uh, one of the MSME, uh, actually, a food stall across my office at that time, is actually doing the, that kind of thing. So that's why we we do observe uh, observation on a daily basis uh, by talking to MSME, by talking to a food stall or any home industry, right? Sometimes they don't they don't record it correctly or they don't record it like. Um, you know, in a very uh, structural way, right? So, um, so we don't usually, uh, not usually, but we don't actually talking about blockchain technology to MSN. We talk about how um, the uh, the apps can help you, how the system can help you ma- manage your financial, and you know, record a good recording of financial data, and we connect you with you know a financing party. Like you know, whether that is uh, banks, uh, you know, credit union, or, or even fintech, right? So blockchain is just the infrastructure that we use to record the data, so that the data is not uh, uh, is tampered free, right? So that is something that is um, uh, we chose to do, and you know, we also trying to create a digital identity for the MSME. Sometimes all the MSME they don't have any digital identity, or they don't even have identity at all they don't have the name of the company or they don't have the name of uh what you call the, the stores right they just like yeah it's just there for for quite some time right i don't have the identity i don't have the name i don't have anything right so uh we just try to make things uh, uh you know uh, uh manage it orderly uh, uh, uh basis so that you know when uh let's say banks or any other financial institution would like to fund them then they can uh, track the data uh, uh, through the system, so that is something that uh, we actually we, we oftenly or we uh, usually uh, explain to uh, MSME that we target. Yes, I see. I see. That's such an interesting aspect because you know even though day in day out we hear news about big data, we have all kinds of data, but fundamentally there's no data mm-hmm. or until you guys start to step in, right? Essentially, that's that's the missing part of the market, and and you guys mm-hmm. see the chance to 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 basically you know take advantage of that and that. 
using the blockchain technology. That's fascinating. I think um, yeah. ultimately a view from the macroeconomic lens that, that is embedded in me, right? What token does is, uh, you know, use, using tech to boost financial inclusion. That, that's something that the government, central bank have been super keen on that should help your, your, your case. But what are some difficulties that you face in jumping through the regulatory hurdles? I imagine explaining again, um, Bitcoin and not so much Bitcoin, but you know, blockchain technology. Do you have to explain blockchain technology to them or, or you kind of skip that as well in a, in, in a, in a, in a nice way? I think for the government, they actually, uh, they're actually already exploring the, the technology quite a while. So when we work together with uh, industrial minister of Indonesia, one of the, I think one of the, uh, one of the target that they, they put in their agenda is actually using blockchain technology to help small businesses. So it is, uh, it is a good, uh, I think it is a good sign for us uh, in terms of the acceptance uh, of blockchain technology and also digital assets of our, uh, from the government side so that it, it is easier or it is simpler for us in terms of collaborating with the government. So um, I think uh, especially recently, right, with the rise of digital assets and also uh, you know other uh, Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency, I think uh, the government is also looking at you know how uh, we can uh, leverage uh, the, the convenience or the simplification of uh, digital assets for for the economy. Um, yeah, I think we don't we don't find any hard time in terms of explaining to the government because the government is actually already exploring about the technology, about the blockchain technology and digital assets for quite some time. So it's just um, we we are becoming the partner of uh, uh, Indonesian government in terms of. Uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to implement the uh, what you call the technology in Indonesia. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps you can spend some yeah. time, Eddie, uh, telling telling our listeners here a bit more. You know, you mentioned how the data gets captured. Basically, the um, you know the mom and pop shops. Uh, the, the, the proprietors, they will have an app, yeah. they, they key in, you know, so and so owe me X amount due uh, by by date of Y, right? And then all these all these data get, get captured, but um, the the user of the data fundamentally are the banks, the financial institutions. How do they how do they use that exactly? I guess is is a way to, as you mentioned, apart from establishing identity, they get a track record of uh, the the scale of the businesses that that, that these guys have. Is that how how it works? Okay, so basically, um, um, uh, the, the data that we collect is actually being uh, uh, managed by the, uh, uh, the technology in the system, right? So um, that data uh, can be opened only by uh, uh, banks that use the, the, uh, the, our token, which is a token as an authority to open the data, so that no one, no other people that can uh, uh, open the data without using any token. That is why. Um, uh, the security or the secure part of, uh, of the data structure in, in terms of our system because um, we don't share any data to other people. Even us, we we cannot uh, just you know uh, open the data directly. We need token also to as the authority to open the data, and you know the MSME uh, we need we need their cons uh, consent to uh, to give us the uh, you know the, the the permission to open the data. So that's how uh, things work. Uh, we're still working on that uh, for sure. Uh, it's not a final product, or it's not the final uh, what you call it. it's not the fi final uh, uh, specific kind of uh, way to do it. But we still can. We're still refining, like you know, how we do the business together uh, of the technology and also working business with the uh, banks and also the, the, the MSME. 
Yeah. I, see. Yeah. I guess you're, you're in the midst of yeah. laying the groundwork essentially, but uh, any any sense yeah. that, you know, you can share with us perhaps that, uh, you know, any any sort of anecdotes or, or data that you can share in terms of how uh, Tokoin's involvement uh, has started to boost the financing and loan disbursement by banks and financial institutions to this group of enterprises? So um, the thing is, right, um, I think government or, uh, already have a good program uh, to support the MSME. Uh, they work together with uh, state-owned banks, definitely in terms of uh, uh, financial inclusion for MSME. But it's just, there is no, uh, what you, how, how, should I, how, how should I say it? I think the time is very limited, right? Because the data is quite a lot. And MSME in Indonesia is huge. Um, by data, we have about 66 million MSME across Indonesia. But I'm sure, um, you know, uh, we can only target maybe uh, not even 10%, right? I think 10% is 6 million. So it's quite a lot of number. But again, that's why I think collaboration with government, uh, state-owned banks, uh, and some government project and also program uh, will will be uh, will become our uh, uh, our goal because at the end of the day we cannot work by ourselves. We need to work closely with government. We need to work closely with uh, state-owned bank. We need to work closely with any kind of party that can support the MSME because at the end of the day, MSME is the one um, I think contributing uh, a lot to Indonesian economy. I think it's about seventy percent, seventy to eighty percent of. Uh, Indonesian economy is contributed by MSME. So that is something that we are looking at to boost and also to help, um, especially during this COVID moment, right? Um, yes. Uh, MSME, uh, I think some of MSME, some of MSME died, but at the same time, opportunity arises, uh, MSME, another MSME pop up, right? So I think it's a, a quite exciting moment, um, especially during uh, uh, this pandemic where digitalization actually becoming the, uh, the way out or uh, the only way some sort of uh, to kind of like you know, keep the economy going because um, I see a lot of, uh, you know, uh, home cook culinary uh, popping up, uh, you know, selling through a platform like Instagram, uh, Facebook and other uh, social media platform and, um, you know, marketplaces. So, um, you know, again, there's always an opportunity behind uh, any kind of uh, challenges, right? Uh, I, that's why I see 2020, even though like some people, um, you know, suffer a lot, but at the same time, I think we looked at another opportunity uh, that can grow uh, MSME. Uh, that, that's how I see it, though. Yeah, I cannot yeah. agree more. I think over here, uh, I'm, I'm, I've been based in Singapore for a while, and I can tell you during the pandemic uh, well, year that was passed, uh, my wife's ordered so yeah. many, so many, so so many different kinds of food from Instagram. <laughs> And, and that's definitely a same here. change. Same here. Interesting. Same here. Um, yeah. I think I think our family also like you know do a lot of PO kind of thing from like you know uh, the home cook culinary uh, yes. business, uh, buying stuff online. I think I think I I spend a lot of uh, uh, my purchase through online uh, uh, more uh, in 2020 in comparison to like 2019 and even like this year. I would yes. say. Yeah. Yes, easily. Yeah. 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 Thanks, Eddie, for, for all that. I just wanted to, uh, I'm conscious of time. I want to move on to, you know, uh, your latest 
involvement for sure. in Scala. For sure. uh, we started as for a sure. program director very recently. From what I could gather, Scala, which means scale in Bahasa, is an accelerator yeah. that is backed by the deep-pocketed Salim Group. It also brands itself as Indonesia's uh, first metrics-driven and growth-focused pre-seed program for tech startups. To be perfectly honest, yeah. uh, that's quite a mouthful for layman like myself. Can you break that down for us, please? And then please do tell us your role in it, what prompted the, the, the involvement as well. Yeah, so basically, um, we are Scala Ventures, right? We are in collaboration with uh, Innovation Factory. Uh, so it's uh, uh, we're working closely with Innovation Factory and also Stripe uh, Ventures. Stripe Ventures is, uh, I think, a uh, Singapore-based uh, venture uh, with the background of a Japanese investor, right? So it used to be uh, the former, uh, used uh, the name used to be uh, Brief Ventures. Uh, in, in, I think in previous years. So we work closely to help what we call a metric-driven, um, you know, uh, and growth-focused pre-seed program for startups. Because like with the expertise of um, you know Strive and also um, you know collaboration with Innovation Factory and Scala, we would like to have you know to help also like you know the the, the early stage startups to to get things right. Because um, driven uh, driving from my experience as a founder, right? Um, I was still like very early um, uh, in my career as a, as a startup founder. So I think we need some mentorship. We need some help in terms of, you know, setting up the North Star metrics, um, you know, um, 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 what you call setting up strategy and also uh, uh, trying to set up the, the growth uh, uh, strategy in terms of our, uh, in terms of the company that we're building, right? So that is why um, with the mix of, I think the expertise of, Scala, Innovation Factory, also uh, Strive. Then uh, we, we we call ourselves like you know very metrics driven and also uh, growth focused because we want like, you know all the at least stay startup to to have the growth mindset uh, to begin with, right? Uh, it's not just you know uh, building solution, but we we want to see growth as well. Yeah, I see. I imagine yeah. you know over the next months and years you'll be receiving hundreds, hmm. if not thousands of applications from hopeful entrepreneurs what will be the deciding factor for you when it comes to saying yes or no to all, all, all these guys what's the one or two so things you're looking think, out for yeah um one of the th one or two things that we're looking for is actually uh, i think uh, I, i'm gonna i'm gonna break it down into like two uh two separate things right sure. uh, i'm gonna looking at uh, i'm gonna breaking uh, i'm gonna break it down into like business side of it and so the founder side of it right or yeah, so I think definitely business side of it, we want to see the industry, uh, you know, contributing, right? Or the startup contributing to the industry. For example, uh, the business can can be scaled, uh, and also uh, the market is huge. It's not like something like quite niche niche in terms of the product, right? So that is the business side of it for sure. Market has to be big in terms of the market size, um, and also uh, uh, again. Uh, can be scaled uh, definitely right it's not like quite operation heavy because we are a tech startup so we need to, to see in terms of the scale scalability right um that is on the business side but then uh, i also looking at on the you know uh the, the, the founder side so the founder has to be i don't i don't i don't see somebody that have uh you know let's say uh, I think some of some of the PC or some of the investor would look at um, what you call uh, ex, uh, you know, uh, uh, management consultant background or any kind of uh, mm -hmm. ex investment banker background or something like that. 
no offense to them, no offense to them at all. But mm-hmm. I, speaking of my own experience, I, I look at founders that can be coachable, right? Coachable in the sense that, you know, you are uh, willing to grow in terms of yourself, in terms of your skills, and you are very open-minded in terms of, you know, uh, things that you need to change, right? So I think that's number, uh, I think that is something that I see because I drive from my own experience as a founder. Um, I, I learned a lot actually during my moment uh, in Wifasa. I, I, I call it like a, a master's degree, uh, you know, in the real life because I learned so many things uh, in terms of, you know, setting up a growth strategy, uh, working closely with investors, working closely with, um, you know, vendors, working closely with even my my own staff, right? Uh, those are a very new thing for a young entrepreneur, right? So, uh, yeah, so those are the two sectors that I usually looking at uh, business-wise and also like definitely the founder and the team. Yeah. I see. On, on the on the business side, as you mentioned, you want you want a startup that is involved in changing an industry, making it scalable. You know, how has pandemic shifted some of this thinking in terms of sectors they're most interested in? Uh, what are they? Mm-hmm. I think I, I see a lot of, um, uh, recently I see a lot of actually uh, a company that is being boosted by, by the pandemic, right? Whether it's a, you know, um, uh, let's say, for example, an agriculture kind of a startup that is being boosted by, by the pandemic because uh, people actually uh, consume a lot of maybe uh, vegetables or even like consume a lot of foods, right? So those are one thing that we also look at. Um, more interesting part is um, I saw a couple of companies that actually doing event online. So it's like an online experience, whether it's for a sporting event, like running, um, you know, biking, uh, or even like other kind of um, online event, like, you know, show, uh, you know, concert and any, any other thing. Um, so those are the things that um, I think I very interesting to see in terms of sectors. I think, um, Lifestyle, lifestyle kind of sectors, uh, 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 consumer goods kind of product, and also I think one last thing that I would like to kind of put a note is actually education, right? Um, uh, we see a lot of edutech coming up as well in terms of uh, you know uh, uh, building building their their solution for like an online education. So those are the the area that I see uh, uh, keep growing in terms of uh, you know. Uh, uh, what you call it, in terms of product uh, during this pandemic moment. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, taking a step back sort of a macro lens again, right? Um, yeah. Looking yeah. over the past uh, 10 years or so that you've been heavily yes. involved in this space, you know, we happen also to be living in a very low rate environment, interest rate environment, um, perhaps yeah. even more so by the pandemic. So how much do you think this startup environment that is very lively has been supported by a low interest rate environment? And I guess the flip side of that, now that people might start to think about exiting from this low rates environment, how do you see risk coming from any reversal of this low rates environment to the startup environment? I think um, I think low rate, low rate environment, right? I think we are quite okay, right? In the region, definitely for sure, right? In comparison to like North America or you know any kind of you know a Western kind of environment, right? Um, the way I see it, right? Um, I think I, I got to dig like you know my knowledge about banking again, right? <laughs> so at that time, I remember, um, I remember uh, back in the days, in the banking days, uh, 2013 or 2000, until 2015, I think. 
um, the number of investment is actually coming in uh, because of the, the higher interest rate um, um, in, in the region, especially in Indonesia, right? That's how I, that's how I know, um, you know, uh, Indonesia grows so much during that moment because um, we have a higher interest rate in comparison to other countries. So that a lot of investment coming into Indonesia actually. But I think right now with the lower, uh, you mentioned the lower uh, interest rate, right? I think it will not really uh, changing the situation, but it will shift uh, uh, the appetite of investment, uh, not just being invested into like certain uh, sector, but it, it will become, into, uh, it will coming into probably startup kind of sector and also uh, other kind of industry and, you know, uh, any kind of, of uh, high, I think high profit uh, margin kind of uh, industry, right? Um, that's, how, that's how I see it for the past, I think, um, three to four years. I see a lot of capital actually coming into Indonesia because um, startup is growing so much. Um, I don't know if you follow, but um, since 2014 until today, I think it keeps growing and new capital actually coming in uh, to Indonesia. A lot of VC are popping up in the region. Uh, Indonesia itself, I think, um, uh, have seen tremendous amount of VC growing, right? In comparison to like 2015 when I was uh, building Lipasa, right? Um, yes. Building Lifasa at that time, uh, I think the number of VC is only like you know certain amount, or, or uh, I can I can say a handful amount, which is everybody knows everybody in the in the, in the industry. But right now, um, I have seen a lot of new VC coming in, new names coming in, even like a regional player from like outside of Indonesia actually coming into Indonesia and try to see uh, uh, what they can invest in, like right? what sector, what kind of startups, or what kind of industry, or even conventional business that they can invest in. Right? So, um, so that's how I see, uh, you know, uh, the impact, right, of you know, uh, lower interest rate in the region, especially in Indonesia. I see. Yeah. Interesting. Now, mm-hmm. Another thing to switch gears a bit, uh, Eddie, uh, one thing I found from your profile is that you were a fellow at the yeah. Alibaba eFounders Forum. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, did you see Jack Ma a lot? <laughs> well, unfortunately, at that time, we did not have a chance to uh, uh, to, to see Jack Ma, but we, we had an opportunity to visit Jack Ma first, um, I think Jack Ma's uh, old apartment where they uh, firstly built uh, Taobao. Uh, uh, yes, that yes. Apartment. Uh, yeah, yes. so the apartment is actually being used as an office for Taobao team, uh, early oh. Taobao team at that time to build Taobao. So, um, it's, uh, if uh, Alibaba eFounders uh, Fellow is actually a, a, a Twix program where all the founders across the Southeast Asia region are being invited or being, um, uh, being invited uh, through uh, the program in uh, uh, to learn more about um, you know digital transformation in China and also uh, digital transformation across uh, the, uh, the the region, right? So uh, we I think there's uh, a couple of countries that are being invited, right, uh, uh, from Southeast Asia uh, predominantly, uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, you know, uh, Thailand, uh, Myanmar, and you know, uh, Vietnam and any other country in Southeast Asia. So um, it's a two weeks program where we learn about how um, you know. Uh, Alibaba was created in the beginning, how they face uh, uh, the challenges, how they almost closed down, and how they shaped their vision and mission to fit in the market. And they grew until today uh, with so many, uh, you know, uh, 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 company inside of the group and also with, 
I think 120,000 employees across, uh, not just China, but I think they have uh, across US and also in the Europe area and also uh, Southeast Asia. So how they actually keep everyone on top, how they keep everyone uh, with the same vision and mission. So it's, it's an eye-opening for me, definitely as a professional, because uh, digital transformation in China is totally different in comparison to uh, digital transformation in Southeast Asia. I think uh, we need to, uh, to, to learn uh, a lot or you know, to, uh, to take a good part of the digital transformation in China and bring it over to Southeast Asia because everything in China is somehow uh, my life, uh, my two weeks life in China, is, it's, uh, it's very interesting. Everything is gamified, right? Um, you, just, you don't even open your wallet. Uh, mm -hmm. In terms of payment, you don't even open. You don't even like you know watch television a lot because everything is on your uh, everything is on your gadget. Everything is on your smartphone. Um, you don't have to worry about uh, your smartphone being out of battery because a power bank is everywhere. You can just scan, get the power bank, and drop it in somewhere else. So, I think digitalization uh, becomes very convenient. I would say in the future. Uh, Indonesia and also uh, other countries in Southeast Asia will see a tremendous uh, shift for sure in terms of uh, uh, digitalization for sure. Um, that's why I, I always look at China as the, the benchmark of uh, you know digital transformation and uh, trying to bring in um, value that we, we learn from Alibaba founders uh, uh, to, to, to Indonesia especially, right? Um, yeah. Everything is so, I think everything is so digital, right? Uh, you know, uh, renting a bike, taking a bus, um, you know, everything is just a scan away. So, uh, so yeah, it's totally different for yeah. sure. <laughs> Interesting. Um, what do you think yeah. would take countries like Indonesia to get to that so-called benchmark uh, of China that you mentioned earlier? What, what are the missing stuff that we do not have now that hopefully we'll have at some point? I think at this point we need we need a unity, I think, in terms of, uh, you know, the partnership uh, uh, working closely uh, with each of the party, right? Each of the party meaning that, you know, the, the private sector, the public sector, uh, the government, uh, we need to work together in terms of shaping the, the, uh, the digital transformation in Indonesia, right? I think uh, one, of a, one of the good thing about China is actually the unification of things, right? Where uh, uh, everything that they use is unified, right? Uh, for example, taking taking an example of uh, payment, right? Uh, they use uh, they use only like you know AliPay and also WeChat Pay for payment and maybe some supported apps, but those are the two main ones. Um, they use uh, certain uh, uh, you know uh, apps for like shopping. Uh, they use uh, what else? They use certain app for like entertainment and other things. I think we need some sort of unification in Indonesia in terms of uh, digitalization, right? Um, if uh, we still, uh, you know, have a lot of options, I'm not saying that having a lot of uh, options is bad, but we need to have a um, majority of users in one place. For example, I think in Indonesia, we use a lot of WhatsApp as, as our communication right. Uh, avenue, right? So I think um, if we can, you know, focus on building uh, one certain or you know uh, two one or two certain uh, communication avenue and then you know trying to build commerce inside of 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 that platform and you know connect everyone uh, working closely with all the partners i think it should be something that is 
very exciting for Indonesia in the next probably two or three years. Indonesia is going in the bad direction for sure, but mm-hmm. again, we need to we need to work um, uh, together, right? In terms of you know a partnership with government, partnership with other parties, private and public sector, uh, to shape the market, or else like we we're just gonna stay um, in, in one place definitely, right? Sure. And I think I'm optimist. I'm optimist to see that you know um, a lot of uh, actually a lot of parties is already uh, you know uh, taking a part of digital transformation in Indonesia. So that's why I think MSME is also jumping in, especially 2020, right? Where, um, you know, uh, digitalization is one of, it's actually the only way, right? To, to actually grow uh, 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 the market and to actually like, you know, uh, becoming uh, more, uh, you know, digital, uh, digitized saving, right? So that is something that I see and I'm very optimistic to see Indonesia going into that direction in the next two to three years. Yeah, I like I like the way you put it in terms of having some kind of common platform, unified platform. It reminds me of our national motto, right? Bineka Tunggal Ika, yeah. unity in diversity. Well, somebody may, exactly. may just create an exactly. app for that. We'll see. I, I just one last question in the interest of time, uh, Eddie. Yeah. You know, our yeah. podcast series here, uh, Back to Future, is all about finding new growth opportunities for businesses despite the yeah. challenges, uh, including the pandemic. You've obviously found such opportunities many times over, fully acted upon them many times over successfully as well. What is your secret? What is the what, what is the secret of uh, what, what's the secret behind your success effectively? I think um, there is no at, at the end of the day there is no there is no special secret I would say right uh, at the end of the day like I mentioned in the beginning uh, when you asked about you know uh, what what do I see in terms of saying yes or no uh, to to entrepreneurs or to startups right um, at the end of the day uh, things always change. Uh, technology always changes and always uh, becoming better and better. So, um, speaking of my own uh, personal development, I think I always try to develop myself. I always try to uh, to learn um, new things. I always try to uh, to uh, to, uh, to network. I always try to, to want to know more about other people, other uh, you know other countries' development, um, and definitely. Uh, one thing that I learned is actually uh, during my entrepreneurship uh, kind of uh, uh, time, n- never burn any bridges. I think that's one of the things that's also becoming my, my uh, what you call, my, my uh, yeah. something that I hold on. Yeah, something that I hold on because we never know what's going to happen. Right? We never know what's going to happen uh, in the future. We might need to work with certain certain people. We might need to work with certain companies. So never, never burn any bridges. Uh, maybe we cannot work uh, uh, together today, maybe in the next couple of months, right? We we never know. So uh, I always try want to keep. I always uh, try to keep uh, you know relationship with everyone, and also trying to be peaceful with everyone. Um, I think that is um, uh, my my motto. Uh, I think okay. that's my motto, and also my my my, my recipe to, to to keep moving forward and also keep uh, keep growing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I, well, personally, I'm glad we have established this bridge and I promise not to burn it <laughs> anytime soon. But thank you for your time, uh, Eddie, uh, and, and uh, this thank fascinating you, uh, it's conversation. Uh, I think our listeners benefit. Thank you for having me, Wally, and I think it's, it's, it's my pleasure to be here. It's my pleasure to share. And there was Eddie Christian Ng of Scala Capital. He just shared with us his extensive startup experience and how they brought him to the venture capital space. 
This has been the fifth episode of our new Back to the Future podcast, a limited run series where we distill key insights from innovative startups and the ecosystem around the region. Join us next week as we hear from Teddy Utomo, who's the president of Bukalapak, where we hear how he's helped to build an e-commerce platform provider into one of few massive unicorns in the region. Until then, goodbye. This has been a podcast from OCBC Bank. Follow us on Spotify for more episodes like the one you've just heard.